from the Los Angeles Times. This is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Thursday, May 21st. Today, what will history say about this crazy period of coronavirus? Well, that depends a lot on how our lives, our thoughts, and our experiences are being documented right now. Archives like the one at the Huntington Library, the Center for Oral and Public History at Cal State Fullerton, and others across Southern California, they tell us a lot about what transpired in the past. Not just what our leaders did or what made the papers, but also about the day-to-day lives of regular folks. Liz Ramirez is a librarian and archivist for Los Angeles Communities and Culture at the UCLA Library's Special Collections. She says, take a little time to document your experiences. They may help teach future generations how to meet similar moments. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Liz, as an, you know, an archivist, you're supposed to document and keep records of people, both in the good times and the bad. Right now, during the really bad, what's your job right now? So my job right now is really to keep an eye on what's happening and trying to figure out what the best way it is to collect and to represent um, the history of the time right now. Like many other people, I have the privilege of staying home to work. So one of the things that we do is use online resources. So there's something called Archivit, which is a web archiving site that captures and preserves web-based content. So what we're doing with that is collecting some of the responses to the pandemic. So we have two searches going, which happen daily to collect information online and information coming from government um, institutions and also sources that communities look to. So, you know, local newspapers, local um, online websites that kind of give information to some of the communities, especially those who who maybe don't focus on English language material, but, you know, need news from Spanish sources or Vietnamese sources. So that's kind of what our focus is right now. How are you seeing people document coronavirus right now, especially with different communities? Like, are you seeing different responses from Latinos versus African-Americans versus Asians? Or what are you seeing? No, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that um, people are documenting with their experiences right now, a lot of it is online and a lot of it is through social media. So you have people talking about their experiences on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. They're sharing um, what they're going through, either as, you know, essential workers being out there, working from home, you know, people who have been sick are able to kind of share that in a way. And so I, I don't know if there's a huge um, difference in the response between Latinos and like African-Americans or Asian-Americans. I think a lot of them probably are kind of similar right now because some of those communities are really the ones that are part of those essential workers that are going out there right now. And then another way that people kind of um, record their experiences naturally is by keeping things they receive in the mail, keeping articles, any kind of pamphlets that they receive that have to do with the pandemic. So, I mean, that's just one natural way that people collect material. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, is it too early to be collecting artifacts? You know, it's one thing to get your stories. That, of course, is very important for uh, archives, but also artifacts of the moment, like any N95 mask or, uh, you know, pamphlets or even posters that people put up on streets. Yeah, I mean, I think right now um, it's important to keep an eye on that and to kind of try to figure out a way to um, collect those materials that are representative of all the communities and all the different types of reactions to what's going on. But you're right in that it's difficult to take it in right now. 
because most libraries and archives and maybe community archives that would be collecting this information, most of everybody's at home. So you can't really take in those materials because, you know, obviously anytime you take in any kind of archival material, you want to make sure that you're doing so in a responsible way that, you know, is going to protect those materials. So I think right now it's just kind of keeping track of what's out there, um, trying to figure out which archive, which library is focusing on, on different types of communities. Just because, you know, I mean, UCLA is just one of many um, institutions that, that are going to be looking to collect um, around the pandemic. Yeah, UCLA, of course, has a very famous collection, uh, one of the few collections in the United States dedicated to the 1918 Spanish flu. Yeah, so we have a collection of um, personal narratives, manuscripts, and ephemera about the um, Spanish flu. I think it dates to like 1917 to 1923. And so it includes letters and diaries from 44 individuals, most of them who were from the U.S. Armed Forces. And the reason it's important is because it kind of gives you a look at their personal experiences, the impact of the flu on their communities, kind of signals kind of a way that we should be collecting as well to not just focus on, you know, the big stories coming from governments or um, like the protests that we're seeing, people who want to open up California, those kind of get a lot of the limelight right now. But we're not always seeing the stories of the everyday person and their experiences in this time period. Yeah, one of the most powerful pieces of that collection is a scrapbook made by the sister of a young man who enlisted in the army and passed away before he was even shipped off. And, you know, it's just a scrapbook. That's all it is. It's like pictures, his driver's license, some letters. Then it starts getting darker and darker, like the letter that the United States Army sent off to his family after the gentleman passed away, to his medals. And then finally, just a note at the very end saying that the woman who kept it passed away, like I think it was 1990 something or other. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think people, like we're saying, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be collecting in similar ways. I mean, maybe not scrapbooking in in the same kind of um, format, but those stories are really important because it gives you a sense of of what it's like for individuals and not just the big stories that we tend to focus on. And, And what are the parallels you're seeing between the 1918 flu, at least in terms of how people recorded that moment in time to what's happening right now? There's a lot of similarities. I mean, it's just the output's going to be different. Maybe people aren't going to be creating scrapbooks, but they're going to be posting things online. Obviously, with, with, with the pandemic right now, when there's deaths, people might keep things from um, funerals or notices. I mean, unfortunately, all of that is kind of limited right now. You know, the people's reactions back then, that's very similar to now. I think people were protesting wearing masks. They were after the first wave of the flu in 1918. They're really happy to be out there. And then that kind of caused a second wave, which was even worse than the first one. And I think there's things that we can learn from that as well, because, you know, we're expecting a second wave. And so we're hoping that, you know, we can look at collections like the ones we have at the library and use that to kind of avoid some of the same mistakes that were made back then. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. So, Liz, why is it important for people to archive this moment? What, what in the future, what can people learn from common people 
In other words, you know, you so far off, and when we talk about history, it's history is written by the victors, important people, the big man theory of history. But so what is that importance of the common person documenting not just their own lives, but also donating their memories and their keepsakes to archives like UCLA? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for them to document just because like what you said, you know, we focus so much on the big story that, that we lose individual experiences. And I think it's really important for people to document their daily lives, especially, I mean, in generally, it's important for people to do that because you never know what's going to become historically important. But in times like this, it's really important because we don't want these stories to be overlooked. I mean, think about the way we talk about like our current essential workers. You know, most of those essential workers are um, generally thought of or described as low-wage earners who aren't major drivers of commerce, but they're really important to us right now. Grocery store workers, delivery people, custodial workers, truck drivers, they're out there risking themselves so that we can get the basics of what we need to survive. And, and while I think that is being acknowledged, we don't always actually hear their voices. And that's why it's really important for people to you know, record their experiences and share those with archives such as um, the one at UCLA. Yeah, it, it, it's very important to hear their voices, but also know who they are. I mean, you know, this is kind of besides the point, but the Hollywood Reporter, they actually had a story in February about the Chateau Marmot, the famous hotel for the celebrities uh, off of Sunset. And they talked about four of their drivers, four of the drivers who took all these fancy cars, uh, the valets, and they only mentioned them by their first name. They didn't even mention them by their last name. It's almost like robbing people of their agency. Yeah, and their identity, yeah. What can people gain from looking at the past, especially from so-called common folks? I mean, I think it's, it's they can learn a lot about what life was like. I mean, especially, you know, a lot of our essential workers are from communities of color and they're not always, like you just said, they don't always get their voice heard. We might acknowledge that they exist and that they're doing this work, but we don't actually give them the chance to talk about their experiences, you know, how it affects their families, you know, We've seen that this pandemic is disproportionately affecting communities of color and people who are low-wage earners. And I think when we center their story, it kind of gives you a better idea of what's happening in the time period and what we can do in the future to change maybe our reactions and pay attention to those so-called common folk that aren't usually the center of our attention during pandemics like these. And also not just people like individual lives, but you mentioned earlier about essential workers. One of the initiatives that you're trying to push is to gather the the archives of restaurateurs around Southern California and tell their stories. And of course, the restaurant industry has been slammed like few other industries have so far during coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about, too. I mean, you know, you, you hear about all these restaurants, you know, not not only that they're closing right now during this pandemic because people can't visit restaurants but also those that are just going out of business totally. And we're going to be losing a lot of that history, a lot of the culinary history. And, and it's important, not just because, you know, people go to restaurants and all these things, but, you know, in LA, it's so varied. There's so many cultures and communities that are represented in these restaurants and in the culinary industry that we really want to record that history. But at the same time, you want to be respectful about that. Like, I don't want to be calling people up, you know, a month after they lose their business to say, hey, do you want to work with us? Because, you know, it, it's an emotional thing. So really, Really, it's about trying to respect people's experiences and at the same time try to honor those experiences by recording it for archives. So give some suggestions for people to be documenting their lives right now. What can they do? How can they get in contact with you? Everything. One of the things I think, like I mentioned before, is that people do already is that they keep 
important documents and information that they run across. You know, if people take walks and they happen to see like a poster that's protesting something, they can keep that. They can also keep track of what they're posting online, like especially if they have photographs that kind of show their experiences, especially in, in different communities, that can be really important. I think there's a lot of initiatives going on right now, especially online where people are, are encouraged to share their stories. USC is doing that right now. And so is Cal State Dominguez Hills. We don't have anything specific set up like that. Um, we have a Center for Oral History at UCLA that's run by Teresa Barnett. And so she's working right now with faculty and students to start interviewing people um, that they know about their experiences in LA with the pandemic. Um, in general, anyone that feels that they have, you know, a story that needs to be recorded, they can reach out to um, UCLA Library Special Collections. Um, we do have an online website that does have contact information. They can always reach out to me, um, RamiresLR at library.ucla.edu. Any kind of questions that they have, any doubts about the importance of their collections, um, you know, we're always willing to talk to people. Not everything has to come to UCLA and we can always help people with that as well. So there's a lot of different options for people um, to get their stories heard and, you know, archived for future generations. So so people should definitely be keeping their coronavirus TikToks then. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for this interview, Liz. You're welcome. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Himeson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.